0: Hi there, I'm Rory O'Connor, professor of health psychology and a mental health researcher at the University of Glasgow. And I'm Craig, a filmmaker and content creator at MQ Mental Health Research. And welcome to MQ Open Mind, a podcast that brings together lived experience with scientific research to help us to better understand mental health problems, and we hope to do so in a way that is accessible to all. This week we have Nick
1: Morgan, the founder of the organisation You Are Youth Mental Health, and activist and lived experience campaigner, Chrissy, You Are Youth Mental Health is a non-profit organisation with a focus on advocating for children and young people's mental health. In this episode, we talk about the importance of volunteering, using lived experience and research, and supporting the mental health of young people.
0: So welcome to the latest Open Mind podcast. Um, Craig and I are delighted. We've got two guests, two really, really interesting guests today. So, we've got first of all, we've got Nick Morgan, and Nick's going to talk about the work he's been doing as a founder of Euro Youth Mental Health. And then also, we'll be chatting to Chrissy. I'm really excited to hear about Chrissy's journey and story. And Chrissy's an activist and a sort of advocate and person with lived experience in the field of mental health. So, welcome both uh, Nick and Chrissy.
2: Hello. Thank you for Hi. having us.
1: You're welcome. i uh,
0: looking forward to our conversation. Okay, so maybe we'll just kick off maybe with you first, Nick, and tell us a bit about, so I've been watching a couple of the videos of, on YouTube and, and, and the work that you've been doing. Could maybe tell us before we get to the sort of, well, not the end point, but your own me- uh, youth mental health, but maybe what brought you there? And I know you've spoken about your own mental health experiences. So just maybe tell us a bit about, about you and your and your experiences today
1: yeah absolutely um so yeah i'm a, I'm a youth worker by trade uh, and kind of uh, studied at university from swansea um sort of classed as a, an emotional child um not that that meant anything in the 90s. And um, yeah, I guess I, I I got into youth work and fell into mental health by accident, working for charities, but not as a clinician or anything, but using youth work kind of uh, social, socializing skills about motivation and that sort of thing to work with young people uh, with maybe early symptoms of men- mental ill health or um, on the other side kind of coming out of inpatient wards and needing some support to navigate managing their mental health in to live independently or, or, or with back with their family um and so i did I, I did that for quite a number of years fell in love with the field of mental health uh, but whilst doing that at the same time and you, you, there could be a long discussion about cause and effect but um i think it was inevitable i remember one particular time when so I, i'd never really felt as someone who struggles with their mental health per se Uh, whilst doing the job initially and and then on my way to a school to do some work uh, with uh, one-to-ones with some pupils at a school, uh, just broke down in the car crying, Um, had absolutely no idea why that was, Um, but just called my office and kind of like, I can't go in, I I, I can't kind of compose myself. And um, so I went to uh, manage to get some free counseling with work, luckily, that's not the case everywhere. and yeah, I guess that just opened the door to my kind of acknowledgement of, of varying degrees of mental health and mental ill health. I am diagnosed with depression and general anxiety disorder now, uh, which I didn't find out until about five years after I got diagnosed with it. Apparently, um, that's a and that was as, that was as an adult. So, um,
0: so so when did when did that happen? That experience of just the- that was well, when I was know.
1: about twenty two. Okay. Um. So, like, like a year or two after uni, and yeah, just got some counselling, and 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 since then, it's been a bit, you know, my mental health's been an up and down journey, um, as it as all of our mental health is, and I've had periods of severe difficulty where I've had weeks months soft work, um, from kind of depressive episodes, um, to you know, the, the total opposites uh, episodes of, of pure joy and excitement mm-hmm. and happiness and managing all that. Um, So that was when I was about 22, like I said, I did lots of different bits of work for various charities around mental health. And then I went to do a master's um, in Maastricht in the South of the South Mm -hmm. Netherlands. Um, And for my thesis, it was a comparative study. uh, Comparative European Social Sciences was the course. Um, Yeah, which is really interesting. And the idea for your thesis is you had to do a a comparative study. So I wanted to compare a mental health service in uh, Zagreb, Croatia, to a service in london uk so i used one and it was during that time that scoping europe as a as a continent and a region looking at mental health i re- i saw the huge um disparity i guess amongst uh, education services awareness uh, acceptance um and also a complete lack of kind of a regional wide organization um kind of doing anything to campaign or to advocate on behalf of young people mm-hmm. or with young people, which is what we've set up.
0: Yeah. Can I just stop you there for a second and bring you back a bit there? So um, a couple of things just struck me. So you, you were saying, was it that you were diagnosed at the time, but you didn't know that? or?
1: Yeah, it is a, it's a, it is an interesting conversation. And I guess as someone who who's worked in the field, I know how difficult it can be to get a diagnosis as an adult compared to that of a young person under 18 um and I was never looking I never kind of talked about it but I was in and out of, I've been in and out of the GP and and varying levels of support for, since that that in episode, incident when I was 22 um and, and I can't remember exactly but I think I was in I, I was I had this really good GP in Hitchin actually where I'm living now um who was calling me up every two weeks for a short period of time checking in on me um yeah very unheard of um and I think in one phone call they said well the first one I had with them they were kind of looking at my records and said okay so I can see you've got a diagnosis of uh, clinical depression and general anxiety disorder And I was kind of oh have I um that's good to know and I think I, I she said I think sounds like what happened is you know you do the the test the strengths and um difficulties questionnaires and things like that I obviously scored over yeah the uh, mm. uh limit Fresh threshold yeah. yeah yeah threshold a certain amount of times and I just don't think because <laughs> I'm an adult they're like oh yeah I'm just that's not that it's not they can't offer me anything because of it it's not like I've got extra treatment because I got a diagnosis mm. um, well I was
0: just curious when he said that that so, I mean it's it's an interesting point because sometimes, well, actually there's some research, not necessarily not, not specifically mental health, but some research I remember coming across a few years ago in, in just in psychology more generally, which looked at when you go into your GP, right, and 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 obviously in, in your consultation, you have a conversation and the GP will give you advice or whatever happens. And then and then they, th- they did this study in which they asked people, what what did your GP tell you? And like most people, th- don't actually remember accurately what their GP what the GP tells them. So it's really yeah. interesting bit just how you, that
1: um, patient
0: yeah. professional interaction goes. Now, I'm not saying that happened to you, but it just came into
1: my head there. Which, that's, but it was, that's it. It just felt like a passing conversation. Yeah, uh, as if it as if it really didn't actually matter that much, which it doesn't, because I, you know I think. For me, in my experiences, and also my professional experiences, diagnosis can be helpful for certain things. If they, yeah. but only if it helps you with re- recovering or, or managing your mental health. Whereas the more adult you are, I think the less they think. Well, it's not. It's clearly not impacting. He's working. He's. he's not as. He's not a risk to himself or anyone else. Mm-hmm. so
0: yeah nothing and imp- obviously the role of diagnosis is serve as you say many different functions and one obviously is to have a shared knowledge or shared label to help so we can communicate what we think is happening but obviously as we know with both depression and anxiety there's there are a collection of symptoms and the presentation of those symptoms is very different for for everyone so okay so then fast forward then i just curious and Moving, moving ahead then, and so you, you did your degree, your first degree in the UK, but hold on, so Maastricht, where did that come from? <laughs>
1: um, so I was looking, to, I, I, was, I was getting to a particular time in my life where, I, what, what do I want to do next? I think I was living in, where was I living at this point? Maybe Brighton? I think I was in Brighton by this point, I've got around. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was, I was kind of, I was looking to do a social work master's. Now, my my degree is in uh, community education. uh, It's more commonly known now as youth and community work. Social work in the UK, at least, has a very strict, very strict um, kind of criteria in order to do uh, a master's. Um, Whereas in, in different places in Europe, I learned this when I did go to Maastricht. It's it's it can be a variety of things in the UK. It's a very strict definition of a social worker. So I you basically long story short, I couldn't do a social work master's because I didn't have a social uh, okay. degree. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. though my experience and my career, yeah, in safeguarding, working in you know um, severe mental health trauma units and things mm-hmm. like that, all of that didn't matter because I didn't do this social work. Yeah, degree. yeah, yeah. You have not got the piece of paper. Yeah, but... um, we love our paper in the UK. Yeah, um, so. I looked for something else. I was looking for international social work and there were a couple of things and I fell upon this course. It was a collaborative uh, course between uh, Maastricht Zoid University uh, and London Metropolitan.
0: Okay, great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I lived in Maastricht for six months and it, it had um, 20 people on the course from different places in Europe, with social workers, youth workers, social pedagogues, um, those sorts of roles. and. Yeah, the idea is that you, you learn a lot about European institutions about the nuances of social work and how it came about in Europe and what the differences are across the world. And then the end piece of work that you have to do is a comparative study of some kind. Okay. Uh, and mm-hmm. I did mine in, um, I think I called it uh, informal services for mental health support, one in the UK and one in uh, Zagreb, mm-hmm. uh, Croatia. Um, yeah, so whilst doing that, I noticed, as I talked about earlier, that there wasn't much going on from a regional point of view around kind of youth uh, organisations. There's one, of, there's a couple of kind of general European wide mental health organisations which you may know about, Mental Health Europe and um, uh, an organisation called Gamayan and a couple of others. But there was nothing focusing specifically on youth. So I spoke to a couple of these organisations to kind of get a lay of the land um, initially. Uh, And initially just set it up as a Twitter page as kind of just trying to get and I was just using it to retweet other young people uh, who who seemed to be young. I was very much going based on the (laughs) pictures they posted and the things they were saying from across Europe uh, just to try and echo the voice and tag Mm -hmm. in institutions and things. And then at the behest of my uh, colleagues from university who kept nagging me. To set it up as a formal organization i gave in eventually and set it up 12th of december 2017 okay. uh, we, we became a community interest company uh, and initially at that point it was myself and a colleague arena uh, buriana um who isn't part of our group anymore but is, is there was no kind of hard feelings of, of separation mm-hmm. she went on to do her own thing but helped in the initial phases
0: and so 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 that's five years ago Chrissy, we'll bring you in a wee second so the reason you went the euro angle is that was just informed by in part your experiences in Maastricht and, like, and on and doing the masters, and then um, recognizing there was this gap. So then, what's what's your sort of vision for, or what was the vision for um, your, your Mental Health?
1: As you might, what I haven't touched on is throughout my career, I've very heavily lent into kind of um, shared decision making and collaborative work with young people, asking them what they want Mm -hmm. uh, and doing our best to advocate and support them in achieving that and and having that work. And a lot of my work now, day to day, is around youth involvement in research um, as co-producers, not just as Mm -hmm. participants, uh, and also getting young people's voices at high level meetings Um, and I've done that in the UK for a while and then so yeah so this organization is very much around advocacy and campaigning from Mm -hmm. young people from young people for young people so we act in order to raise up the voices of young people to promote mental health and support those impacted by mental ill health across Mm -hmm. Europe that's the. mission statement well that's that's a nice way
0: then to bring in um i'll come back to some more of the, on the ground work that you've been doing nick but maybe a great way to introduce them um, chrissy so chrissy act, you're obviously doing a lot of activism work and and nick and you know each other so do you mind tell us a bit, a bit about your story and um and how you got involved in the ag- advocacy activ- activism and sort of lived experience work
2: oh uh, yes of course uh so uh growing up i had a very a uh, happy and normal childhood uh, i was a very happy child and everything uh but maybe because of some life events uh while growing up especially teenage years uh i developed let's say symptoms of anxiety and depression uh it i wasn't diagnosed and i am still not diagnosed but i i had very um intense uh, episodes of depression and uh, especially during my teenage years i was feeling kind of lost and i feel like teenage years are in general hard Mm -hmm. Uh, they are not depicted as such uh, many times uh, because they are expected to be very fun but i feel in reality they can be very tricky these years in the life of a person because of the changes that happen and everything you have to make decisions uh, you feel very lost and small in front of all of these things and uh because of that and because of um, some other life events that happened um I started feeling something was off at first and then I admitted that to myself that This is not something uh, feeling off, it's something more, it's something deeper, it's something like that could be described as depressive episodes. And uh, mental health was something very important to me in my life, and because of my lived experience and because of my interests in general. And this is the reason why I decided to study social work. (laughs) Uh, as Nick said, uh, I went. I first I I was studying. I studied something else, but uh, then I reevaluated my choice of degree. And after my first year, I decided that I wanted to change my my degree, and uh, I went for social work, which I never regretted. And I am now very close to graduating.
0: So what, where and and in terms of is that in the UK? Are you tra- training to? do social work in the UK or in, in, in Europe, or uh, elsewhere elsewhere in Europe, obviously. Sorry, elsewhere. I was controversial, controversial <laughs> there. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, I I have been. Uh, I was born and I have lived my whole life uh, in Greece. Mm-hmm. So I I also studied in Greece, and it was uh, maybe easier for me than it was for Nick to study because it was my bachelor. So. Yeah, it wasn't the yeah. master, because it's still difficult for us to, <clears throat> to become social workers if we don't have the bachelor degree here. Mm-hmm. But since I was uh, still very young and it was my bachelor degree, I decided to just change. And here I am. About my involvement with your youth mental health, uh, it happened in during the first quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was found with so much more free time as many other people. And I wanted, I felt like I wanted to volunteer and do something nice with my time, not because I wanted to be like productive in a strict way, in the strict definition of the word, but I also wanted to feel uh, connected with other people because I felt very isolated and the opportunities that I had were not so many. And I also live on an island which didn't help so much, (laughs) (laughs) not at all. Uh, Not only during quarantine in general, but especially during quarantine. So I came across uh, an advertisement, I think it popped up on my Instagram stories. And it was something very interesting. And I was like, hmm, maybe that would be a nice fit for me. Uh, So I filled in a form for new activists and yeah, the rest is history. (laughs)
0: So then, so that brings us in back. So then, so then to Nick. Then and um, so in terms of the organisation, so the that so it, part of the role is obviously raise a profile and to try and um advocate for I assume better services, better support. So then, so tell us what tell us a bit more about what you do in that in that sphere.
1: Yeah, we're all volunteers. It's worth noting, myself included. We all have different, varying day jobs. Um, I work in the field. Some of the volunteers don't and do this as a volunteer thing, using their skills. Yeah, some of the spheres that we work in. So, gen- there's a lot of kind of things that we do together. So, we we'll have we have a, we have a network of young people from across Europe who are willing to maybe do some short videos, mm-hmm. um, help us with um, content and blogs and those sorts of things as well as maybe attend events and high high level profile meetings. Uh, one of which me and Chrissy went to last year, which I'll come back to in a second um, and kind of ensure that young people's voices are always on the table at those yeah. kind of conversations. Um, something I'm currently involved in uh, with the World Health Organization Europe is uh, figuring out how best to involve young people in their conversations. I've been involved with them during COVID as a technical advisor. Uh, representing Euro Youth Mental Health, so I always came with quotes from young people uh, and always mentioned, why aren't there enough young people here? Mm -hmm. Um, And now they are going to look. they're looking into kind of finding some funding because to do it properly you need the thing with co-productions I think is people think oh I've just spoke to some young people, Mm -hmm. it's fine but you need proper funding to do it properly. Um, And then the other side of that which I guess was always the aim and is finally starting to happen is um, as I touched on earlier, the Importance, I think, of involving young people with lived experience as peer researchers um, on research projects. So, Mm -hmm. we've it's on their website, so I'm sure we can talk about it. We've been accepted as part of a, a European wide piece of research. Um, that's going to be looking into the role of genetic and environmental factors in mental health of young people. Really? Uh, it's being led by yeah, Maastricht University. Total, ah. total coincidence. <laughs> oh, um, Come round in a circle. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very weird. Although the odd thing is, is uh, there's two universities in Maastricht. This is the other one, which is classed as the better one, but yeah uh, <laughs> inverted commas. Um So, and, that, and we're part of quite a few other bit. Like, that's a five-year piece of work. Uh, and so we've got funding, uh, you know, to start funding some roles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so so and- just stop here for a second then. So how did how did that
0: come about? Well, two things. One is, um, how did the links with the World Health Organization come about? And then second, how, in terms of the involvement in these research studies, because often these are, they can be very serendipitous things. But so maybe, because t- I think it'd be really helpful for listeners who maybe are others who are thinking of, establish an advocacy or how we can move this field mm. forward especially in embedding youth lived experience in in research and beyond
1: yeah absolutely um it's worth noting that one thing we're looking to gain when we get more funding as well is to do a lot of training for exactly that sort of yeah. thing so mm-hmm. that people can feel comfortable to because these sorts of fundings often end up at universities it's not necessarily charities that as you yeah. probably mm-hmm. know rory it, and so for as a as an ngo we don't necessarily come under that belt but We did a project through word of mouth uh that was funded by the Wellcome trust on an international project called active ingredients uh which was linked heavily with ucl and the anna freud national center for children yeah was that the
0: the, look at the active ingredients for mental health treatments was it
1: yes yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and so we did we led the youth engagement uh on the initial uh, there were two initial projects before it went into what the current bid is and we were one of the lead youth engagement teams of that piece oh, of work. Oh, great, that's fantastic. And then it was just through a bit of work to be quite the other a, a bit of word of mouth, a bit of hustling, a bit of uh, if I'm being perfectly frank, um putting myself out there and and yeah. challenge and being challenging. Um, I think a lot of people feel a bit awkward or uncomfortable calling people and organizations and work out um for not. Doing X, Y, or Z, we yep. always try to be nice, and, uh, rightly so. And I I, 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 and I usually only do it to highlight certain pieces of work could be better if you had had a young person help you write. You might have got that bid if you had a young person help you write that yeah, ethics um, uh, part, or help you under help you deliver that piece of work to the to a funding board, mm-hmm. um, and so on. So there's a lot. There is an element of that. Um, and then going back to the World Health Organization, yeah, I, I think just before COVID, there was some work going on with a youth advisory group I'd seen on online global mental health peer network, I think I contacted them, told them about what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got invited to the technical as an expert on the technical advisory group during COVID. And um, yeah, just a lot of uh, just constantly, it's, it's it's surprising how much you can do by just throwing yourself out there and being, I guess, a bit persistent and patient well, no, no i think I, agree. I i agree i think that's really
0: good advice and um is often because often that people don't know where to turn to for looking for that sort of advice or, or support so so chrissy back to you then obviously from what i can gather then you and nick attended some meetings together so what in terms of what, what work have you been doing with with nick and and, and others
2: yes of course um In our organization, there are many roles uh, and someone can get involved uh, no matter how much time they have or no matter uh, what skills they have or not. Uh, So there are different ones uh, based on all these things that I mentioned before. And uh, right now I am part of the organization as an activist and an expert by experience. That means that at first I would, uh, as an activist, I would create uh, content for the for our social media channels. Uh, but then, like all of us, help each other when a new project comes up. So we may need to take up a new task or help someone, and it's really flexible the mm-hmm. the roles and the task and the time that. Uh, you can devote it all of them are very flexible Uh, but also as expert by experience we may be invited uh, in a podcast like now for example (laughs) or um, uh, at a summit like the one that uh, we mentioned before and this is something very empowering for us it can also be helpful for the organizations or policymakers but I think it's also something very important for the person that is invited to do so mm-hmm. because uh, you feel like your story is worth telling and you feel seen and you feel that uh, what you want to say is important there are people that actually want to hear you and your story and your recommendations and everything and I feel it's especially important for young people and in general people uh, who struggle with their mental health because um, not, they don't have, we normally don't have so many opportunities because uh, our modern societies are very competitive and in order to have an opportunity you have to be very competitive or productive Uh, If you're not one of those, then you don't have opportunities. And that means that a vicious cycle is made because I don't have self-esteem. I don't do enough. I don't get a reward and then lower self-esteem. And so when I was given the opportunity, for example, to to speak at such an event, I felt so, so empowered and I know that I would never have the opportunity uh, to do something like that if it wasn't for this organization.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. And there's some whatever heart thing that those of you here listening to this, that Nick has done some whatever heart thing with this. With a weird this, heart thing. thing with my hands. For trying to people, be trying, trying to be cool, I think, as my kids would say. So, actually, it's funny you're wearing a baseball cap. I wore a baseball cap on holidays and my kids, I did what you did, Nick. And for a laugh, I turned it on because Nick's got his baseball cap on back to front. And my kids were literally horrified and said, a 49-year-old <laughs> man should not be wearing a
1: baseball I cap. I mean, my, cap. My, my better half tells me I shouldn't be wearing a baseball cap backwards <laughs> all the time. But I, st- <laughs> I still do. Uh, That's um, my entire style. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nick, back to you for a second. You've given us some kernels of sort of wisdom. So in turn, if... if if you're somebody listening to this who's thinking, actually, I'm really keen to try and get um, young people's voices out there. And, and say, if, if you just focus on research, this sort of a research-related podcast. So what advice would you give? Or well, obviously, contact your organization would be one, I assume. But if somebody was looking separately from that, what
1: advice would you give? Yeah, it's a big question. So I think some of the main things I would give is advice in trying to get young people. So you like get low and especially if it's, you want local
2: Mm-hmm, young people yeah.
1: involved in your in your work is um I if you don't have something to set up yourself you, you've got to fund for someone or, or an organization to help if you don't have it in already in your university or in your mm-hmm. charity to help you set up official protocols and things around involving young people safely supportively meaningfully mm-hmm. to, as Chrissy said to feel empowered and to feel comfortable to do such opportunities it's not you can't just go into a youth club and throw a bunch of research papers and ask them if it's all right but i, I do think then the other the, you know on the flip side it's one thing so staff need to be trained effectively and understand the meaningfulness of it and the, the, mm-hmm. the and you can easily sell it with the outcomes the positive outcomes that co-production produces um then on the flip side it is about i think something i've noticed is around Training and doing workshops with young people about their experiences. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, I think the the term "expert by experience" uh, on especially on an international level means all sorts of things in different countries, as you can imagine. Um, But to really pick that apart with young people and actually recognize, as again, Chrissy, you just mentioned that people do actually want to hear your stories and your your live everything you've done today can be used to benefit something that happens in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you don't have to be an expert by learning or, or science to, or theory to do some of this stuff
0: but actually I just want to come in there for a sec but that point you make about um even terminology in an international context because i was talking to somebody recently and um, who in the more in the suicide prevention field and, and he was telling me he lives in indonesia that the term lived experience doesn't translate or it's not you and also there's another issue about yeah. lived experience, living experience, expert by experience. So, yeah, I think it's, but, uh, but I suppose we, we're we all, doesn't matter which country we're in, I think there is, well, slowly but surely, and there's different speeds at different countries, there is that growing recognition of the vital and central importance of having lived, living, expert by experience at the heart of everything, but not just, because I think co-production sometimes we, 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 it's only one part of the process of research it's like but it's having young people in at, at the, even before the projects in this case young people before the project has started i know good co-production is at all stages but i think it's really really important it's not just as you just said like there maybe over oh, here just look at these materials type thing often but it's not it's at all stages of design as well
1: yeah but what on the contrast to that as well, though, although it's, this sounds very conflicting, what I will say is I think sometimes there can be an element of expectation on researchers or, or professionals to involve young people, as you said, in this case, to such an extent that it actually puts them off the idea of even bothering to try. They're kind of, so it's kind of like, I, I, I don't know, I think we don't have the funding or the capacity to do yeah, all, yeah. all of this. And so there's also that other side of being like, just as long as you can justify and uh, and be transparent about why you can only involve them in X, Y, or Z, whether it's just at the dissemination stage, that's okay. It's still involvement and it's still engagement at a certain level, and you just it's just important to try and make the effort to do so. You know, and hopefully, as you talked about, learning points. The more you do it intermittently, the more the next bid you put in, you might be like, ah, right, let's get this right yeah. from the start and.
0: Yeah, and at some stages, depending on the nature of the research. I mean, it's yeah, it's exactly it's the nature of the research and the practical there will be practical constraints as well. So, absolutely, no, I think that's really helpful. So, again, as second of this is a research podcast, and um, t- 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 so a question to both of maybe I go to Chrissy first in this one, Chrissy. So, could you tell us maybe if you what are your hopes and aspirations? If somebody said to you, what, what's the big research question you would like us as, re- as the research field to address? What do you think we should be focusing in on? It doesn't help I me. Mean, just whatever comes into your head.
2: Uh, yeah, to be to be honest, I haven't been uh, very much involved uh, academically. I yeah, in yeah. research. But I think sometimes we don't pay so much attention to some factors that can contribute to our mental health or lack of it. Of course, for example, it's important to have accessible uh, mental health services, but there are also some other things like, uh, for example, my, my university can have some psychologists, but uh, if they don't specialize in something that I may struggle with, they may harm me more. Mm-hmm. Or if my the financial situation of my country is really bad, that can affect me in ways that, I mean, mentally, in ways that someone cannot understand or, or detect because it doesn't seem uh, linked to yeah. the mental health of the people, but it's not because, for example, part of the anxiety that I feel is because of the financial situation or the situation in the workplace of people. So maybe I would I would like to see the link between some factors that haven't been uh, investigated.
0: So for somebody who claims not to be that embedded in the research, you've done pretty well there. <laughs> There are great suggestions and ideas and i think it really highlights what we sometimes describe or talk about that um is idea of the person in context and we we've ignored the context for too long or we haven't given due consideration so i guess that, that they're great that's great points um chrissy thanks so nick same question for you in terms of what would you what would you think is our burning research question in the field of youth mental health so
1: I was thinking about this as you were chatting, and I, I, my brain started going quite big, sort of philosophically looking at capitalism and uh, and, and <laughs> the kind of systems. And, but um, I think for me, it would be read. It would be how does the current education system directly impact young people's mental health? Mm-hmm. Um, which I know is a very broad. It sounds straightforward, but it's obviously a ridiculously broad <laughs> question. Uh, we, I, I, this is a personal bugbear as a youth worker, but I currently don't fit think education systems fit for purpose. Um and I think I do think that has such a big impact on mm-hmm. uh young people's development um and it is the expectations and the results driven culture and those sorts of things. So yeah, I think you know what impact does that have and what could be that what different what could be changed systematically in education that would help benefit young people to look after their mental health.
0: But I'm even just thinking so even the time schools start, because we know the adolescent brain is is not is not tailored to an 8.45, forty five, nine a.m. start, and okay. so we even the basics. And I agree, there's something in having a system which is facilitating um, or is more more holistic. It's not. I know we do talk about obviously personal and social development in schools, but yeah, there is a wider question about. Is the academic focus on academic that still the be all and end all and with potentially detrimental impact on wider mental health and well-being?
1: If I may add on to that, I think the reason that really came highlighted is we we were at an event called Euro, European Youth Event that happens every two years. And we were at we were there last year, but we were there three years prior to that. And we did a workshop with something like 80 young people from across Europe and beyond. Um, and we did an exercise where we, we, we came up with what are the three main things that, and this, this is obviously four years ago now, and so maybe not relevant per se, but uh, three things that you think that impact you as a young, your mental health uh, the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things that impact your mental health in uh, a kind of difficult way. And those three things were um, uh, employment, which in my head relates purely you know, to money and security, mm-hmm. um, relationships. Um, I do a bit of work going into schools talking about healthy relationships with another charity because that we do, we don't get taught what a good, yeah, relationship yeah, that's looks like. important. um, and, um, I can't remember e- equality was the way they worded it, but I think that was more the early stages of conversations about being accessible to everyone, knowing more about the diverse world in which we live in. Cause it doesn't really get talked about, you know, say like neurodivergence and yeah, yeah. history of of um, black culture and LGBTQ pride, you don't get taught about that, you might touch on it in history, but it's about history, not about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so the, you know, those three things, I'm like, yeah, they should all be in school. I mean, mental health should have its own thing uh, in mm-hmm. school. But so that's kind of yeah, why I think there's such big topics as well. Have you seen any current trends um, happening in Europe in terms of young people's mental health? I mean, from my experience, uh, for a general amount of overwhelmingness, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, a lot, if not all, are violent activists. And um, I think there's I've got so much on all the time. And I don't know who you could argue. There's an element of uh, self uh, ability to do that. I'm rubbish at at, at saying no to things. <laughs> um, but I do think there's, there's something in that that I think is, is the burnout and kind of um anxiety that that induces the ability to please everyone and this kind of n- nature and that, I could go on for ages about this but you could argue there's an element of because you have more access to things now with video calls social you know Facebook started it uh <laughs> sorry for those who aren't watching we just had a cat enter the the uh, conversation <laughs> from Chrissy um they yeah, I think there's it's all now we feel like because we can access everything from anywhere that we should be accessing anything from everywhere. Um, I was asked to travel two and a half hours uh to meet a friend for a coffee the other day, and I contemplated it for a while, and I was, I was like, "No, I that's, that sounds that's silly." Um, yeah, so I think that for me is a trend, I guess, as a old, <laughs> I'm thirty eight, an old professional looking in on young people's trends of Europe. I don't know, Chrissy, in terms of um you as a young person maybe just amongst your peers is is there anything you think young people are um you're noticing in general around mental health at the moment
2: yeah first of all sorry for my cat's interventions. she she wanted to say something i don't know what but... No apology <laughs> needed. The more animals the better
0: that's the first cat we've had <laughs> yeah it is we've had dogs we had a couple of dogs
2: um uh, but uh from my aspect uh i agree with nick in general and we're all very obsessed with being uh, productive i feel the this productivity thing is becoming very toxic probably because as i said everything is becoming very competitive and we we all want to stay on top of things maybe it's also because of social media because we only see the, the peaks of someone's life and we compare our whole, whole life with the peaks of someone's uh, life. But I would also like to maybe add um, a more uh, optimistic view. Uh, based on my experience, I see that most of my friends and people my age uh, now see a therapist, for example, or seek help. Mm -hmm. Because someone can say that this is not good, because it means that all of us struggle, but it also means that there is less uh, uh, shame and stigma uh, around mental health issues. And now I don't feel weird if I say, for example, that I see a therapist. It's actually a very casual uh, discussion, even in more conservative countries or regions like mine and it brings me hope because um i feel like uh we normalize uh mental health issues and talking about mental health and yeah there's less stigma and for me it's something uh very hopeful and i also feel like maybe our generation will do more to and uh, trauma or shame around mendelham that we have inherited from past generations and i would be very happy to see that
0: i think that's so true actually and um i think there has been this generational shift which is great to see as somebody who's got teenage kids i mean the way they talk about mental health is so different certainly from when I was their age, which is which is great. So it's fantastic. No, thanks for that, Chrissy. Really, really helpful. Okay, time is getting the better, better of us. And so it's it's for time to sort of bring things to a to a close. And no, thanks a million for um, really, really interesting discussion. And I think really hopefully important advice for engaging young people and working with young people in that co-production approach, um, Nick and Chrissy, which is fantastic and uh, fantastic, in that and the importance of ag- advocacy. So the last sort of question, just as a sort of slightly different, um, just to end, trying to end with something slightly different on the, on the podcast is, so maybe if I go with Nick first, Nick's doing something funny with his cap. I don't know what he's doing, but anyway, so Nick, the question, the question first to you is, um, so reflecting, obviously, on your sort of your experiences to date, what advice would you give your 16-year-old self
1: um, invest in craft beer. No, um, sorry, <laughs> irrelevant. Um, Sixteen-year-old <laughs> um, self. I think. I mean, it's hard, but I think it would have to. It'd be something about uh, whatever you do. Make sure set be realistic and honest with your expectations on yourself, mm. and don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, I'm a a a constant. Um, self-blamer and I beat myself up, you know, all the time about things, and um, speak to yourself like you would a friend is the advice I try to give myself yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot because I wouldn't speak to a friend like that at all. So yeah, so I tell my sixteen-year-old self, you know, speak to yourself like a friend and and set your set realistic expectations. You can't. Do everything yeah
0: no I think that's a great piece of advice Just self-compassion is at the heart of it and I think I think as a world we've got more compassionate but I still think that our capacity to be self-compassionate still needs a lot of work and Chrissy the same question to you what would you tell your 16 year old self on advice and I know that wasn't that long ago for you Chrissy
2: <laughs> it's not but believe me many things have changed <laughs> since then Uh, But I would like to tell her a lot, but if I were to say maybe a few sentences, I would say, first of all, uh, most of the things, if not all of the things you worry about will never happen. (laughs) Because I always made up scenarios and you shouldn't be worried so much about the future, about, about everything. And you don't need to have everything figured out. Um, yeah, I think that I would say these two things
0: too. Yeah, like they're great as
2: well. To increase her anxiety, maybe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I think I like that one. Yeah, you don't have to have everything figured out. I think that is really, um, really good advice. And then, okay, so two last quick, um, one to each, a question, each of you. So again, thinking of people either, it's, this can be anybody living or dead, famous, not famous. But who would you like to see? You were saying Nick. You nearly you nearly travelled two and a half hours for a coffee with somebody. But who would who would you travel two and a half hours, living or
1: dead, famous or not famous, to have a coffee with? I wanna point out that, that 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 person's no less of a friend. It's just the idea of going two and a half. No, hours, I
0: agree, I'm you know, with you. I'm with
1: you hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. 100%. yeah, yeah. I Anyway. Um so just to be quick, uh first person that popped into my head, because they were an inspiration to forming in youth mental health, is um a former Italian politician called Altiero Spinelli. Uh, Altiero Spinelli is known as the godfather of the European Union. He was instrumental in uh, setting up the U- uh, European Union, of which I'm a huge fan of, and advocate of, ironically, not being in it mm-hmm. um, at the moment. Um, so, yeah, that's who I would say. I just love to pick his brains about kind of thinking
0: that. Oh, good. Yeah, I've never. I don't know that person, but as a, similarly a big fan of the European Union and as an Irish passport holder, um, I still am in part i member of the European Union, despite living in Scotland, which obviously voted to stay in Europe. But a bit of politics there, <laughs> and
1: then Chrissy. Yeah, you might still end up back there again.
0: <laughs> Chrissy, same for you. So, um, who who would you like to have a coffee with? I mean, you wouldn't ordinarily have the chance to have one with
2: i I feel like it's time to disappoint the audience because <laughs> I wasn't prepared. Yeah, no, don't, worry, uh, don't worry
0: or if you can't think of anybody, that's fine as well.
2: Yeah, to be honest, I, I think that I will do it. I will <laughs> disappoint because i I cannot decide. it's It's a very interesting question though. I would like to I would like to be a food for thought for me. <laughs> okay,
0: well we'll we'll leave that one with you and then maybe if we catch up with you again at some future date you can give us the answer to that question. Okay, well, thanks a million, Chrissy and Nick. That was a really, really interesting um, conversation. And obviously, Nick, there are,
1: a few, there are resources online from obviously for,
0: what's your website? What's your website? Do you give us a shout out for your website? If yeah, you
1: please do. get If you want to get involved, we'll be recruiting new volunteers soon and uh, building numbers on our Young Expert by Experience Collective. Uh, go to www.eymh.org and you'll see the Get Involved button at the top.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Emilian, everybody. Stay well and stay safe and and have a, a great rest of the day. Thanks, Emilian. Goodbye.
1: Thanks. Bye. Thank Bye. you so much. MQ Open Mind is presented by MQ Mental Health Research, the only organization that exclusively invests into scientific research around mental health. Our vision is to create a world where mental illnesses are understood, effectively treated, and one day prevented. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the podcast. Each review helps us reach a wider audience. Visit mqmentalhealth.org to learn more about MQ and mental health research.